0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. You can follow along on the the screen and the monitor here to my left. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and, and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Thank you, Randy.
1: Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you continue to be with us throughout this service. Lord, we pray that... What would take place here would be nothing short of the intersection of heaven and earth. That you would be present. That you would work through me and also in spite of me. That you would draw us to your, your word. And that in that uh, we might find renewal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> my, uh, my wife just recently this past week went and took a meal to a woman who is in her 30s she's about the same age as my wife who recently had a double mastectomy and has been in a battle against cancer for quite some time now and so she went and took a meal to her and she got some of the other people in our community group and in our church involved to help to help bring meals for her but I just use her as an example. I want you to think, do you know anybody in a similar situation? Do you know, and do you have any friends or family members that are facing very difficult health challenges? Of course, even within our own church, we know that there are many that are facing similar challenges, physical challenges, and maybe that's even you this morning. How many of you know... uh, People who perhaps their marriages are struggling. That there, maybe there are even individuals. I was I was talking with a couple in our church who was sharing with me about some friends of theirs where it, it, it was a couple where, you know, they they just never expected that anything would would go wrong with their marriage. Do you, you know any, any couples like that? You're like, well, they're they're going to be solid no matter what, right? And and then and then to your shock, you discover that that maybe they're separated, that maybe they're, they're actually considering divorce. And as you talk with them, you, you realize that there's, there are deep wounds in, in them and in their marriage. There are, are, are deep wounds that they've inflicted on each other, or even wounds that have come from others that have come and, and sort of festered in their relationship. How many of you know, maybe you're in that kind of... How many of you know people or, or that, that maybe are struggling with depression or with bitterness, with anger, that sort of wounds that, that, that just sort of fester and, and grow and, and seem to kind of really take a shot at, at their life and their quality of life and, and even those around them? Today we are continuing in our series on, on the book of Acts, a series which we've entitled "Living as Missionaries and what we're discovering as we go through the book of Acts is that is that every Christian is called to be a missionary that missionaries are not uh, you know sort of a select subset an elite an elite task force of the Christian community that we're all called to be missionaries now <clears throat> we're not all the same the roles that we might play might look different, depending on how God's wired you and and gifted gifted you, but but what we're seeing is, is that everyone is called to be a missionary, and so one of the things that we're pushing is we want to be a church that doesn't just support missionaries. We are a church that supports missionaries. We have a strong history of supporting missionaries, and we want to continue to support missionaries, but what we don't want to do is make that an excuse for not living as missionaries ourselves. We also want to live as missionaries in a, in a culture that I think increasingly needs Christians to live as missionaries. So we're, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're looking at, at how the early church, those first Christians, how did they live? How did they live as missionaries? What did that look like? And we've noticed a number of salient features. Uh, we've noticed, for example, that they were a community that did life together. They were a community that did life together. They didn't just gather on Sunday morning, but, but they did life together. They eat, ate meals together. They were with one another together. And so this is something that, that we're trying to do is encourage people in our church to, to gather, to be together even outside of Sunday morning. And one of the primary ways, initiatives, which we've taken on to encourage this, is our community group ministry. And I've said a number of times before, we live in an age where you have to be intentional about building community because it won't happen naturally, that in previous centuries community was something that was just just much more naturally occurred, but in, in modern culture for a whole host of reasons, it doesn't happen naturally, and so if you aren't intentional about building community, you're going to go 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and then you're going to discover you don't have any community and you don't know what happened. And Well, it's because we have to be intentional about it. And so we've set up our community groups as a vehicle to help that. And our community groups are, are groups that one of the things that we encourage, and they, they don't all do this, and it's, this isn't a huge deal, but one of the things that we encourage is our community groups to meet in homes, not, not just in the church, because I think it's easy for us to kind of separate church life from home life. Isn't that true? Like you've got your church life and your home life, and sometimes you're two different people at church as you are at home. And, and so the idea is that if we meet in homes, hopefully that can help break down the walls a little bit, right? kind of blur the lines between the sacred and the secular. And then, and then also from a missionary standpoint, this can be very helpful because it, it allows another environment for for inviting others and including those to come in, maybe those who are hesitant to to come and be involved in church initially. And and so maybe inviting them over to your house for a party or something like that where you have other members of the Christian community, a part of it, that 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 can be another environment in which you can begin to expose them to what the kingdom of God looks like. So that's one of the things that we've seen is that, that a community that's living on mission is a community that is doing life together. And then last week we saw that a community that is on mission is a generous community. We saw that generosity is a fundamental expression of holiness. What does holiness look like? One of its fundamental expressions is generosity. And when you have a generous community, why wouldn't people want to join that? Why wouldn't people want to be a part of that? So we looked at generosity. And today what we're discovering as we come to this passage is that a community of faith that is seeking to be on mission, seeking uh, to to follow Christ in his mission, is a community where healing takes place. It's a community where healing takes place. This is what we discover here. This is a a community where healing is taking place, and, and, and people are coming to the early Christian community for healing it's a it's a place where where healing takes place and that this this healing is a sign of the kingdom it's a sign that the kingdom of god is is truly at work in those people and that's what it's talking about the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders it's a sign and it's a sign that 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 suggests that the kingdom of God might be at work in the midst of these, these people. Turn with me to Matthew. You don't have to if you don't want to, but if you, you, if you want to, you can open your pew Bibles to chapter... It's, it's page uh, 965. 965 of your pew Bibles. This is chapter 11. And, and here, we read about John the Baptist. He kind of uh, emerges... John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sort of like Jesus' opening act, right? He was the opener. If Jesus was the headliner, uh, John the Baptist was the opening act, right? And so, you know, the opening act, what's their whole job? It's to kind of warm up the crowd, right? Put in your 30-minute set and just warm up the crowd. And I'm telling you, John the Baptist, he knew how to warm up a crowd. I mean, that guy poured the heat on You know what I'm saying? And he he just kind of warmed things up, warmed the crowd up for Jesus, put in his 30-minute set. You read about it in the first couple of chapters, in the gospels and then he kind of disappears uh, in the narrative in the gospel narratives and 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 actually things don't go that well for John John ends up in prison and ultimately he is beheaded at this point he's in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him you know are you are you really the messiah are you really the one in whom the kingdom of god is has come is coming whatever I mean, you can understand why he might have some questions. I mean, he's in prison, right? He's like, look, man, I've warmed this crowd up for you. What am I doing in prison, right? So he's kind of got some questions about this. So he he sends some some disciples of his to go to Jesus. And then this is what Jesus says to them. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. He's saying, look look what's happening in my coming, and what he's actually doing here is he's making reference, he's alluding to passages in the Old Testament which talk about the coming of the kingdom, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 61, where it talks exactly about this sort of thing, about... This sort of healing taking place in the community. And Jesus is saying, look, you tell me, do you see these things happening? He's saying that the healing, healing, when healing is taking place within the Christian community, that is a sign that the kingdom of God is upon them. So if we are to be a community of faith that, that points out to the world that the kingdom of God is within our midst. If we if we are to be, as we talked about last week, the temple that the early church saw themselves as the temple. Actually, the temple was the place where you'd go to get healed. And then the, when the followers of Jesus are coming, well, now everybody's going to them to, to get healed because now that's the intersection of heaven and earth. And so if we're to be, if we're to be the sign that the kingdom of God is within our midst, then then we need to be a place where where he, Healing takes place. Of course, what we discover as we look at this passage is that there's a holistic nature to the healing that is going on in this community of faith. It's holistic. It's both spiritual and physical. We see this here in verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So we see this sort of holistic picture of the healing that is going on. It's important to understand that salvation, the concept of salvation in the Bible is is very holistic. Sometimes in some pockets of Christianity we think of salvation simply in spiritual terms, but that's really not how, how it's... It's understood in, in the Bible. The, the primary word in the New Testament for salvation, it, the, in the original language, it is a word that, that actually sometimes is translated as healed for physical healing. So you have some kind of common verses like, uh, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In Acts chapter 2. And Jesus says in John 10, uh, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. And we have a tendency to sort of... Uh, interpret that in just a spiritual sense. But the word saved there, it's actually the same word where in other passages of the Bible, for example, Jesus, uh, Jesus heals a woman who had been physically bleeding for 12 years, and he says, your faith has, and in English it says, your faith has healed you. Uh, but it's actually the same word. And, and then in, in Luke chapter 18, there's a, a, blind, uh, a blind man comes to him and he heals the blind man. And again, it says, you receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And it's the same word for salvation. So you, you see in the Bible there's a physical dimension to salvation. And, and of course most profoundly this is seen in Jesus and in his resurrection. Salvation for Jesus was not that when he died his spirit went to heaven. Salvation was that his, he was risen physically rose from the dead. And so we, we see that in the Bible salvation is holistic. It's both physical and it's spiritual. And so that's actually reflected, this idea of caring for both physical and spiritual needs is even reflected in the way our church is set up. And the way our church is set up reflects what we find in the New Testament. We have in our, in our leadership structure, we have both elders and we have deacons. And really the way it's seen is this, that the elders oversee the spiritual welfare of the church and then the deacons and deaconesses oversee the, the physical, uh, physical needs of people in the, in the church. And one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to use our community groups as one of the primary ways in, in which uh, the, the elders, the, the responsibility of the elders and the deacons can actually be, can be, can, uh, be fleshed out through our community groups. Uh, so almost like our community groups can become sort of like a microcosm of the church itself almost like their own little churches in their own right. And so what I would, I would ask you, especially those of you who are in a community group, I'd like you to sort of ask yourself this question. Within your group, who are those who are more naturally wired towards spiritual care, caring for people spiritually? Who are those people who, they're the ones that are you know, texting you with verses from the Bible to encourage you? Uh, they're, they're the ones that are, that are always praying for you and checking in on you. They're, they're the ones that are always wanting to share with you about Scripture and explain it and unpack it and, 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 and just help apply the gospel to your life. Who are those in, in, in your, maybe in your community group? And then, and then who are the, the physical caretakers? Who are the ones who are wired for, for caring for physical needs of people? Who in your community group fixes the best chicken noodle soup? Right? Who is it? Who, who is it? Who's the one who's able to, to really care for the, the physical needs of, of people? Who's the one that's, that's, you know, always bringing food to community group? Who's the one who's, who's offering to host your community group? Who's the one who's, who's, you know, thinking about you when you're physically sick? Again, who's the one fixing the chicken noodle soup? You know, Susan Johnson, she's been a longtime deaconess in our church, and I'm telling you, she is legit. She is legit because I have been healed many times by her chicken noodle soup. And so we, we, we see the importance of a, it's holistic, uh, that what it means to be a place, where, and that's what we want to be. We, we, we want to be a place where healing takes place, both physical and, and spiritual healing. Of course, even as we kind of start talking about this, and, and as we unpack this, one of the things that we begin to discover is that actually the, the line between physical needs and spiritual needs uh, is not really all that stark. The, 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 it kind of bleeds over. That they're, they're, You can't always is this a physical need? Is this a spiritual need? That You can't really draw a line between the, the two. We tend to do that in modern culture, but, but I, I think we've got to see that there's, they're much more interconnected. Turn with me, if you, if you like, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And Luke chapter 4 is a passage which, in many respects, is similar to the one we're looking at today. This is on page 1018 of your pew Bible. Let me just read this to you. This is verses 38 through 41. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of the many people people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ, now, let me just take a minute here. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're not entirely sure what you think about Christianity. Uh, maybe you grew up in the church and and have kind of kind of distanced yourself from it, maybe you have never been in the church and 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 maybe there are barriers for you right we 're talking about in, in a few months we're going to do a whole series on barriers that can offer hinder, hinder us from more fully embracing the faith and and maybe right here in this passage and in the passage which we started with, you know, there might be a barrier here. And, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know about all this demon stuff. I, I, don't, I don't know about this sort of demonic stuff, you know. Uh, maybe you've never had a sort of experience encountering anything like that. And and maybe you sort of think of yourself as a very rational person, you know, a very kind of scientific person. And so you're like, I, you know, I don't know. Doesn't, science is kind of kind of debunked all that kind of stuff, right? and all that kind of stuff. And Well, let me just share this with you, and, and I want to be really careful here, and I would encourage you to, to fact-check me on this one. Uh, people usually fact-check pastors these days. People don't trust pastors as much anymore, so they fact-check them all the time, apparently. So you can fact-check me on this one if you want. This is my understanding. I'm not a scientist, but let me just put this out to you. My understanding is that in recent decades... Scientists have come to realize that science isn't quite all that it's cracked up to be. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I, I don't mean uh, science will continue to wow us uh, with the ways in which it can improve our lives practically. In some respects, it seems like we're almost just on the cusp of even greater breakthroughs that will could drastically change our lives, hopefully for the good, I don't really know. But, but, so I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but one of the things that seems to have happened is that scientists have realized that, that there's a limit to what science is going to be able to explain. You see, in, in modernity, in the modern world, there was kind of this mindset of, of, you know, we just need to keep working at it, and eventually we can discover a theory of everything. A theory of everything. Maybe you saw the movie. The Theory of Everything won a couple of Oscars last year, I think it was. And it's interesting that the movie The Theory of Everything is about the world-renowned mathematician-physicist Stephen Hawking, and how he gave his life to pursuing a theory of everything. He gave his life to trying to find some sort of mathematical or scientific formula that would explain everything, and therefore, you see, explain away everything. Explain everything else away, you see. And and that's kind of what he was pursuing. But what is interesting is that later in life, he became increasingly... Suspicious that that was never going to happen. I want to read to you just a quote from him. In 2002, this is what he said. He said, some people will be very disappointed if there is not an ultimate theory that can be formulated as a finite number of principles. I used to belong to that camp, but I have changed my mind. I am now glad that our search for understanding will never come to an end and that we will always have the challenge of new discovery. You see, what happened with Stephen Hawking very much reflects the shift from modernity to post-modernity. That in modernity, we thought, well, science is going to explain everything. But then in post-modernity, there's a whole lot less certainty about that. And the reason why is because we've come to discover is that the world is just a whole lot more complex than we thought. It's just way more complex than we ever thought. And the reason that I'm sharing this with you is because... You see, I used to be one of these folks that struggled with the whole notion of the demonic because I was kind of caught in this modern framework. But you see, what you begin to understand is that, is that belief in the biblical worldview, where there are such things as spiritual forces at work, this is not necessarily a retreat to some sort of pre-modern superstition. It's actually embracing the reality that our world is just a whole lot more complicated than we might ever have thought. So I just want you to, to consider that if that's something that you struggle with. And then in that, in that vein, we can take sort of a tip, I think, from C.S. Lewis, who talks about the two errors that you can have with regards to, to embracing the sort of spiritual world and the demonic world. He says there's really two errors. One is pretending it's not there, saying it doesn't exist. And then the other error is having too healthy of an interest in it, too excesses of an interest in it, right? So this is the person who, you know, they burn their toast, and so they perform an exorcism on their toaster. Or they get a flat tire, and they're, they're like getting out their anointing oil, right? I mean, so there, there can be an excessive focus on it, but that, that's one error, and then the, the other error is to deny it. But I do want to say to at least open us up to this reality that, that there, there are spiritual forces at work. Now, this is actually a huge detour from what my point was here. I'll get back to the point here, but I think maybe a necessary one. And that is that when we look at this passage in Luke chapter 4, what we discover is that the line between the physical and the spiritual in terms of, of needs and healing is maybe not as, as, as stark as we might have thought that it was. So again, look here at verse 39. It's, it's interesting, the, the wording that is used here. Verse 39, it's talking about Jesus and, and Peter's mother-in-law and her fever. It says, he bent over and he rebuked the fever. That's kind of a strange word, isn't it? And then you go down to verse 41, and it says, it says uh, Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. It's the same word. Rebukes the fever, rebukes the, the demon. What's going on? I think what we see in here is that maybe the line between a physical problem and a spiritual problem might not be as stark as we often try to make it in the modern world, and so let me just kind of maybe apply. It's not exact, it's certainly not exactly the same as this, but I think there's a similar principle involved here when we think about something like depression. Depression, right? In a sort of a modern mindset, there's a tendency to, you know, it's, well, it's it's either a physical problem or it's a spiritual problem and so you've got your, your physicalist type people where if you're depressed the first thing they do is just, well throw some Prozac at you change your diet right it's a physical issue right and then you've got your other modernists your, who maybe come from a more of a, a more of a christian spiritual kind of perspective and they're like no you don't need medicine you don't need, you just you just need to study the bible you just need to pray you just need to, and, and and is it is it possible that that maybe the line between the physical and the spiritual Isn't quite as stark as we sometimes paint it to be. Closely related to that, closely related to that is that healing, healing can come both through miraculous means and non-miraculous means. Healing can come through both miraculous means and non-miraculous means. First of all, healing can come through miraculous means. And, and this is where I want to push. Again, those of you very scientific and all that, I want to encourage you to say, you know what? Healing can take place. Supernatural healing can happen and we want to be a place which embraces that, has the faith to believe in that. That when, when, when someone comes forward for, for prayer, for, for any kind of issue, spiritual or physical, that we might pray for them and that they might be healed. We want to have the faith to believe that. And, of course, there are reasons where sometimes one is healed, sometimes someone isn't healed. This gets into the already not yet nature of the kingdom of God, that in one sense the kingdom of God is already here, but in another sense it isn't. I mean, one of the things we need to realize is that even in this passage where these people are getting healed, It's not like that healing is permanent. It's not like they're saying that when they would heal them, they would never die. It's not like they'd heal them and then now all these people live forever. Like you got a bunch of people who've been running around here for you know two thousand years. No, they would still because the kingdom of God is is here in part, but it's not it's not here completely. And so there's a tension there where sometimes we're going to experience full healing now, and sometimes we're not. And and then so there's there's that tension there as as well, but we need to have the faith to believe that God really can bring bring healing. I know that many of us have experienced this, have seen this happen, and so, so at the end of the service, we, we offer for people to come forward, and if you want to be prayed for, we want to pray for you, whatever it is, and to have the faith that God could miraculously heal you. That could happen. We don't know if it will. We, we, we just put, our, we put it in the Lord's hands, but... W- you know, those are the two errors. Again, the one person says, oh, well, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. That kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. You can't do that. And then the other error is to say, well, if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, then something must be wrong with you. But again, it's these, it's these, these two errors. We need to realize that healing comes both through miraculous means and non-miraculous means, and we see this in the Scriptures themselves. For example, in James chapter 5, it says, if you, if you are sick... Come before the elders and have them pray for you that you might be healed. But what's also interesting is that in 1 Timothy 5, uh, Paul is giving advice to Timothy about stomach issues that he's having. And you know what? He doesn't say go to the elders and get prayer. I mean, he probably did tell them that too. You know what he says? He says drink a little bit of wine to help your stomach issues. Hmm. Okay. Medicinal values, I don't don't know what kind of wine he's talking about, I don't know what it is, but but it's clear he, he sees that that healing can actually come through natural means as well. Healing can come through both miraculous and non-miraculous means. My brother is a surgeon, and when he graduated from medical school, my mom got him a picture, a painting, which now hangs in his office, and it's a painting of a doctor standing over his patient, and standing right next to the doctor is Jesus. And my brother, my brother, before he goes in and does operations, he prays for his patients. If, if they are willing, he'll pray with them. But then when he lays his hands on them, he doesn't just lay his hands on them, right? He does all that. I don't even know what he does, right? Because he realizes that actually the line between the laying on of hands and the work of our hands, it's... it's It's not so stark that it can happen through miraculous and non-miraculous means. Uh, Leonie Seibert is a massage therapist, and I've been blessed to have some massages from her before. And honestly, I'll just tell you, I can't tell if it's a natural or supernatural experience. (laughs) I can't tell. I can't tell. I I mean, one passage, Paul talks about being caught up in the third heaven. And it doesn't really say a lot about what the encounter was. I actually think he was getting a massage from Leoni. That's now my new theory. But Leonie similarly prays before she massages because you see the work of our hands and the laying on of our hands, the line between the miraculous and the non-miraculous is not necessarily as stark, as clear as we think it is. And so what this reveals to us, and this is the key, is that all healing comes from God, whether miraculous or non-miraculous. All healing comes from God, whether it's miraculous or non-miraculous. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is a passage which I turn to frequently for a number of different reasons. I think this is an incredibly profound passage. Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is sort of part of Moses' farewell address to the Israelites. The Israelites are about to go into the promised land. They have been wandering for 40 years in the desert. And here's the key, the key piece. So for 40 years, they've been wandering in the desert, and God has miraculously been providing manna. He has been miraculously providing bread for them. And then when they come into the promised land, he's saying, that's going to stop now. Okay, no more bread coming from heaven, because I'm leading you into a land which is very fertile. And so now as you work the land, you're going to be able to produce your own your own bread, through the, through the work of your hands. But what God realizes is that there's going to be a temptation for them to forget that that comes from him too. They're going to forget that, right? So he's just talked about this. That, yeah, the manna came from heaven, but now, it, now you're coming into a place that that's not how it's going to come. He says this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Saying, "Look, whether it's miraculous or non-miraculous, it all comes from God. Provision, healing, whether it's miraculous or non-miraculous, it all comes from God." I mean, you've probably all heard the you've probably all heard the, the, the parable uh, about the guy who's you know a flood comes and he's in his house and and uh, the water starts to rise, and, and the neighbors are in a car, and they, they drive by, and they're like, get in the car, come on, you got to come. He's like, no, 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 God's going to save me. God's going to save me. And the neighbors drive off, and, and, and then the water level starts to rise a little bit more, and a police boat comes along, right, and, and the policeman says, get in the boat, get in the boat. And the guy's like, no, 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 God's going to save me. God's going to save me, and and then the water levels, they rise even more and more, and he has to climb up on top of his roof to stay out of the water, and, and then this helicopter comes, and th- this is not in the Bible, you realize this, right? This parable is not in the Bible. And, and this helicopter comes, and they put down a ladder, and they, you've got to climb the ladder, and the guy's like, no, 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 I'm waiting for God, God's going to save me. And, and then what happens? What, the water levels come, he drowns, he dies. And he goes to heaven, he's standing before God, and he's like, God, I don't get this. I, I was praying, I was asking for you to deliver me. And what does God say? God says, what do you mean? I, I, I sent you a, your neighbors in a car, I, I, I sent you a, a police boat, I sent you a helicopter, what were you looking for? You see, God's healing can come through miraculous and non-miraculous means. And this drives us back, Then I think provides a context for us to get back to, to what this whole message is about. And that is that we, as the community of God, we want to be a place where healing takes place. We want to be a place where healing takes place. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, when we gather together for worship, my prayer is that healing would take place in our Sunday morning service pray that as we teach from the Word of God, that, that healing would take place. You see, in many respects, this, is, this means that as a church, we're a whole lot more like a hospital than we are a school. We're more like a hospital than a, than a school. And when we gather together for worship, this is hopefully more like, a, like a, an operation or like a recovery room than it is like a classroom. The same thing in your community groups. You see, we, we want, what we want to take place is, is that a, 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 as we expound the Scriptures that, that we find that it's, it's more than just learning about the Bible because you see, a lot of people there are a lot of people who know all the Bible stories. They know all the stories, but they have deep wounds. It's not just about knowing the stories. It's about approaching it from the perspective of seeking healing in your life, when we talk about the authority of Scripture, there are kind of two ways in which we can talk about it. Both are true. There's two kinds of authority, if you think about it. There's the authority of, let's suppose, you know, it's, you know you're coming in to do your taxes, and you need, some, you need to understand the tax law, so you, you call a tax attorney because they are an authority on the subject, at least hopefully they are. Right? They're an authority, meaning that what they say is probably going to be true about it. They're an authority on it. Right, so In the same sense, the Bible is our authority in that it speaks truth. It's our authority, it speaks truth. But you know, there's another kind of authority too. Right? Any LeBron James fans here? Have you ever seen LeBron James dunk a basketball? I mean, he throws it down with authority. Right, authority, it's it's. it's power. It's power, and what we discover is that to the early Christians, they saw the first kind of authority, but they also saw the second kind of authority, and that is that the Bible had power to bring change in people's lives. You see, that, that, that's what we hope takes place when, when we gather together and we study the Scriptures, that, that, that we believe the teaching of the Scriptures can bring change, that it has, it has power. When by faith we open ourselves Up to it. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You see, we want to be a place, we want to be a place where healing takes place. That that requires humility. Requires humility to come before God and to admit that you might need to be healed. In Mark 2.17, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He's saying, "If you don't think you have anything wrong with you, I haven't come for you." That there's a humility in admitting. There's a humility in admitting that you have physical problems, isn't there? There's a humility that comes there. There's a humility in admitting that you have spiritual needs. And that that humble posture is is really the only prerequisite for entering the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, the grace, the power of God comes to us. It's entirely by his his grace. You see, what I want you to see is why is it that we want healing to be so central to what happens when we gather together? Because this reflects who God is. This reflects who God is. God is a God who longs to bring healing. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus came to bring healing. And and, and then in Isaiah chapter 53, when it prophesies about the coming of the Messiah, it says he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, the heart of the gospel is that God gave himself completely that we might experience healing. If you are here today and and you're not sure what you think about the Christian faith, there's only one thing you take away from it. I want you to take this away. And that is that at the very heart of Christianity, at the very heart of the good news of Jesus, is that he is a God who by his grace has come to bring healing into your life. That healing can come now. That healing might come down the road. Final healing comes in the age to come. But that's why he came. And that no matter where you are, no matter how far you have turned from him, if you just come in humility and say, I need healing, God. The angels rejoice. And so then we, as a community of faith that seeks to follow Jesus, we seek to receive his healing, to receive the healing that comes from the cross, but then as his his followers, then we see that as our mission now, is to follow the cross as our pattern. The cross becomes the pattern for everything that we do. And so similarly as Jesus gave himself to bring us healing, now we give ourselves to bring healing. It's why at the very heart of Christian community, we long to be a place where healing takes place. So I just want to ask you, just very practically, I want you to to think about about ways in which God might be calling you to bring healing into the lives of people. How might God be calling you to to bring healing into the lives of people? Maybe for you, it's as simple as as spending time with someone who doesn't have... a lot of friends or can't get out very much, isn't it true that just being with somebody, being in someone's presence can bring healing? Isn't that true? Maybe you have a neighbor that could really use to just have somebody be with them. I have a close friend who was in counseling for years, years, asked her and experienced some tremendous healing and remember saying, well, what did the counselor say to you? Well, the counselor said some great things, but... But to be honest with you, she was just there for me. She just listened to me. Maybe God wants you to bring healing into somebody's life just by, by being there with them. Maybe God wants you to bring healing into life, somebody's life through music. Um, our hope when we gather together and, 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 and we worship and there's music, we, we, my prayer is that music might help bring healing you know, it doesn't say here, but it's possible. Probably not what happened in this passage, but it talks about the apostles driving out evil spirits. You know, it's actually possible that they got out their guitars and played music. Did you know that? It's possible. You think I'm joking, but if you go back to, to, to 1 Samuel and you read about Saul, and Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, and David, they brought David in, and, and did David, you know, cast out the spirit? No, he got out his guitar, it was a harp. And he, he played music. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a neighbor of yours that would you just, you just go over there and you can sing and you just provide some music for them. I know we have sent, uh, every year we send a team caroling to the Care One facility. And we go and we just sing Christmas carols to the folks who are there. And you can see, you can see on their faces that it's bringing healing into their lives. What if we, what if we formed a missional community group, a group of people who felt called to use their giftings even in music? to go regularly and and just provide music for people that that, that it might bring healing into their lives? What are the ways in which we as individuals and maybe even as groups, little communities, could go out and could bring healing into people's lives? Maybe you make great chicken noodle soup. So you can use that as, 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 as a means of bringing healing into people's lives. Maybe you have expertise in something like Uh, financial matters and so you could team up with Felicia who's running financial peace and we could form a a community that that uses financial peace as a way to bless the community and uses that as a way to build relationships with them you see there's so many different ways in which we we, want to see how has God wired me how has God gifted me what are some of the things that I can do because we see healing can happen in so many different ways as we move forward into 2016 this is This is the question I want to put to us as individuals. I want to put to our community groups. I want to put to our church as a whole, and that is how might God be calling us to be a place where healing takes place? Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for your grace. We praise you that you are a God who sees our need and cares. You are a God who yourself has experienced pain. You yourself have experienced suffering, and so you know what it's like to be in need. God, we, we pray, I pray for those here today who might be really hurting, and I pray that, that today they might experience healing that your grace and your power might come and work in their hearts, might work in their bodies and bring renewal. God, I pray that you would use us. Pray that we, we would be a place that people know they can come to and experience healing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.